What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I am your host, Danny Morang, and I am joined by my friend, fantastic writer, all-around good dude, uh, over at Bleacher Report. I always have to forget that, Sean. I'm sorry. Uh, Sean Hyken, friend of the show. Uh, not only this show, but uh, Blazers Outsiders and everywhere else. Mostly because, uh, well, we just like going back to him because he's got good insights. Thanks for joining us, man. It's good to, good to be with you, Dan. I, I, I'm really grateful that you brought your friend, uh, longtime confident, uh, Tom Thibodeau behind you here. Oh, yeah. I have to have the Tibbs <laughs> picture as my Zoom background because it seems like he's going to be back in the league soon. I mean, I know, they're, I know the Knicks are interviewing a ton of people, but I still believe that Tom is going to end up getting that job. So I have to – I got to Oh, represent. so you have him the odds-on favorite? Yeah. Okay. If the Knicks don't hire him, do you, do you see another team get signing him? I yeah. 50 50 maybe i saw you, you're the, just I, you're just on the next train Tim, i just Tim, Tim well it just makes so much sense because he's a caa guy and also they just hired worldwide West, West. who was his agent i saw a report a couple weeks ago i can't remember uh who reported it but apparently T- tom is interested in the rockets job because i think we all kind of assume that unless they win the title d'antoni's probably not going to be back tibbs and harden would be just a disaster made in heaven yeah, but I could I could see Tillman wanting to, but I I I also mm-hmm. but like this is also a question of is Daryl Morey going to still be there? Yeah, things don't if things don't go the way they need to go. Because I think I think mm. I think Tillman was smart enough to realize that he couldn't fire Daryl last Not fall because that. then it would because then it would seem like he was just doing what China wanted. But if they don't win the title now, he's like you know we he's been there for a long time. We need to go in another direction. He sort of has cover for it. Hmm. Interesting. Speaking of having cover, the NBA has uh, at least a little bit of cover here now that they have a full schedule out. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been waiting for this. We kind of thought we knew what the schedule was going to be. Um, well, let's go this way. What was your first thought when you, saw the new, when you saw the schedule released for all the teams? We'll, we'll work our way back to the Blazers, but just in general. My only real lasting thought, I have, I'll admit I haven't fully looked at the entire schedule yet mm-hmm. and really tried to break it down. But starting the season with the Jazz is a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Putting <laughs> having them be basically the last game and the first game in the restart. Um I almost think they should have put it as uh Jazz Thunder instead of uh Oh right. Just have them the, resume that game. Yeah. And then the other game that got that. canceled that night was uh Kings Pelicans. Yeah. Those are both teams that are in there. Yeah, no, and that would have worked. Um, we'll go back to the Blazers-adjacent part of this. The Blazers' first game is what was going to be one of their next games. Their next, their very and, next game, actually. Yeah, and then leading off, obviously leading up into the, the Houston game where Nurk was supposed to make his return. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies. And yeah. the Blazers were supposed to get them basically twice in the span of, what, 10 days, I think is what it was originally. Yeah um they're they're gonna get them once once in their final eight which i think was a bit disappointing to blazers fans uh yeah they really i think they needed to get them twice because then that that just gives you an opportunity because the whole point of the play-in is you have to be within four games in the standings for their to trigger the play-in right now they're three and a half games there if they had them twice theoretically they could beat them twice and then you make up two full games now they're only going to have one opportunity to play against them and actually make up a full game directly and then everything else is out of their control the thing that i noticed about it besides just the only having one memphis game that memphis game is the only game on their schedule 
that's against any of the other teams that are in their vicinity. The, Peripheral uh, range. Right, the New Orleans, uh, San Antonio, Phoenix, Sacramento. They don't play mm-hmm. any games against those teams. They just have the one against uh, Memphis, and then the other ones are all against teams that are more you know, locked into the playoffs. We get that, that third eye going. Yeah. Little, and that's going to lead me right into this. Oh, so uh, you're in, so you're in the, the NBA is trying to get Zion in their train. I mean, I'm, I'll say the same thing I said on Twitter. I'm not accusing you. I'm just asking. <laughs> because when you take a look at that Pelican schedule, Jazz, Clippers, Grizzlies, okay, okay. I mean, cool. That, 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 that seems legit. Uh, Kings. Although the Wizards, Jazz now without without Bojan, there without Bojan, yeah, that was the that was the other qualifier here. But then Kings, Wizards, Spurs, Kings, Magic. I know the New Orleans Pelicans had an easy schedule down the stretch. You know who else had a really easy schedule down the stretch? Trailblazers. <laughs> and when you look at these two schedules, they're vastly different in their competitive balance. But I think the other – what I would say to that also is that the Blazers are going into this restarted season with two starters back, healthy, theoretically. Certainly. So you have to, so you have to maybe balance it out if it's not like this exact broken-down, shorthanded Blazers team that has been barely struggling to stay in the playoff mix mm-hmm. is the one that now suddenly has this brutal schedule. Blazers fans have been talking all year about how, oh, you know, once we get Nurkic and Collins back, it's going it's, it's to pick up. And so now they have them back, and they're, they're, they're scheduled a little bit tougher. But – you know, you gotta you gotta win those games. So you're you're not buying my propaganda here. I mean, I th- I don't think the NBA would be upset if Zion got in, <laughs> but I don't think they actively said, okay, we have to rig the schedule so that so that the Pelicans have the easiest path. That's that's where I stand on it. To be fair, Portland does have the tiebreakers because they ha- they played more games. Yes, so they do have that in their back pocket, so to speak. When you look at these eight games for Portland, Memphis, Boston, Houston, Denver, L.A., Philly, Dallas, Brooklyn, what do you see as far as how that breaks down, where there's opportunities, the games Portland has to win, and ultimately how many do they need to win? Well, you have to get that first one against Memphis. If you don't get that one against Memphis, it's probably a wrap, honestly, because then there's just the competition. It's a two-game swap. Right. And plus the the other – teams in that bubble you know, you basically kind of seed a lot of ground to them because right now they're uh they're in kind of the pole position to sneak in and, and get past memphis but you have to get that first one so that's the important one mm-hmm. and then i think the last two against brooklyn and dallas because i think those two teams by the time that's over or by the time you get to the last two games of the seeding round i guess they're gonna probably have their seeds locked in and so they might not play their guys yeah so those are games I think you have to get. And then I guess in there, I think you have to go at least 500 to have a chance. See, that's lower than I would have said. I was going to say probably five and, th- five and three, most likely yeah. six and two. Like six and two to me is like the number. And one of those wins absolutely unequivocally has to be the Memphis game. And it's yeah. like the other ones that you drop, like if you're going to drop a game in here, like, if you lose to Boston, fine. Boston or, or Philly. Like, those are the games that you're looking at, like, the Eastern Conference. Like, you want those Western Conference tiebreakers, all that kind of stuff. And when you look at that, it's like, okay, those are the ones. And, I mean, that's... The Houston one, you'd kind of like them to get, too, because, first of all, they might, they might have to play Houston. Play Houston. Let's, say that, let's say they make the playoffs, and let's say some crazy stuff happens and they get past the Lakers in the first round. They might have to play Houston at some point. But also, you want Houston 
to kind of have that, you know, get that, you know, you, you want to kind of impact what Houston's schedule is going to, or what Houston's seed is going to be so that maybe Dallas has theirs, has their stuff kind of locked up or they already are yeah. locked into a seed so that maybe by the end of it, they don't play their guys. Yeah. You're, you're playing chess basically with the scheduling yeah. match, but I think Terry Stotts has shown for the most part throughout his career, especially here in Portland, that he is about playing who's in front of you. The only time that they haven't done this obviously was last year, game 82 against the Kings when they were trying to avoid the thunder and they end up getting OKC, which we saw how that worked out. So that was no. still one of the funniest games I've ever covered in person. Oh Just yeah. Those, because the, the he, absurdity of the game. Right. Because he goes, he, he, he doesn't play. Terry doesn't play any of his guys. And he says that it's just to rest them. He doesn't care at all about uh, seeding. And then the second, and, then, and they're down by like 28 or something. They almost, I think they got the 30 in the third yeah. quarter. Right, but, then, but but at halftime, then Jaeger just pulls all of his starters and just plays and just only, basically just to say, okay, Terry, you're going to do this. I'm not going to let you just tank to, to manipulate you know. this. Yeah, right. And so they basically <laughs> did that. And then and then at the end, I asked Terry after the game. I asked Terry about uh, whether they did that on purpose, and he said that he wasn't thinking about playoff matchups. Which okay, you're the head coach of a team. You're totally not thinking about playoff matchups. I buy that. I mean, this is why we love Terry Stotts. Let's be honest. Oh yeah. You look at the other teams here in this schedule format. The Grizzlies, they pretty much get opportunity at everybody at chasing them. They play Portland, they play San Antonio, they play New Orleans, then the Jazz, Thunder, Raptors, Celtics, and Bucks. So the only team that's chasing them that they don't get an opportunity to play is Sacramento. And I wanted to get your thoughts on Sacramento. Of the three teams chasing the Grizzlies, Blazers, uh, Pelicans, Kings. I, 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 the King, the the. I'm not Spurs really. I'm not. Them. I'm not thinking about San Antonio or Phoenix either. No. So the Kings were playing the best basketball of those three when the season was shut down. Do you think that's something that can kind of recapture and be a legitimate threat and and, and have a chance to get up there? Because they're going to have two games against New Orleans. As much as we talk about the Pelicans getting the softer schedule, there's going to be two New Orleans Sacramento games where that could make a big swing for a team like Sacramento trying to sneak in. And it would be ideal for the Blazers if they split those two games so that one of them doesn't gain a lot of ground over the yeah. other. Make the other teams be battling with each other. I'm going to be honest with you, Dan. I, I understand like we kind of all have to have takes about who's going to do well in this tournament. I just, I've, over the last couple of days since the schedule has come out, mm-hmm. I have seen people saying, oh, well, there's schedule, this schedule's tougher than this schedule, or, you know, this team has an easier schedule, this team has a harder schedule, or this team was this, had this record against this team. And I'm just like, how is anybody looking at anything that happened this season as like, you, you, you have as to, relevant. you have to treat this. <laughs> it's not, and it's not just because you don't know who's going to be testing positive or who's going to be injured. Or it's who's a different environment, different out. everything. But also these guys are all, these guys all have not played competitive basketball for four months by the time this thing is happening you, you you have to treat this like it's a new season As, and even more it, than that i think you have to treat it more like uh an ncaa tile like or ncaa type preseason tournament like the maui invitational right. like there's gonna be some tune-up and maybe a a team that you wouldn't expect like i know they're professionals they're, but then the variance is going to be less but there's certainly going to be variance right there's the, this is the, the thing I've always compared this to since kind of the idea of what their plan was came out. This is the closest that we're going to get to the 99 lockout season where they basically played a 50 game schedule yeah. in two and a half months or whatever. And 
the Knicks ended up making the finals as an eight seed. If, if there's ever going to be a time when something weird like that happens, it's going to be this because everything is just so unpredictable. Like you can look at it and say on paper, okay, still the teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, mm-hmm. whoever, you could say those teams clearly like on paper are still the favorites. You don't know how anybody's going to look. You don't know who's going to come in out of shape. You don't know who – we saw what happened with Nikola Jokic where he's lost a ton of weight. I saw a picture of Marcus Gasol where he was looking pretty thin. Also. Yeah, what is going on? Thick dudes losing extra Cs on their thick, man. What, like... Meanwhile, Luka is going the other direction, it seems like, based on what we heard. I think they tried to clarify. Like, right, the they shape, tried like, to clarify what everybody – Yeah. Right, but I mean <laughs> – I don't know. Uh, here's one. Here's one kind of wild card that I have. One guy that I think is actually going to benefit the most from this mm-hmm. is James Harden, just because over the course of the wear and the tear. Last, yeah, well, the last few seasons, Harden puts up these ridiculous, like historically great numbers in the regular with season. his usage rate. Right, he through has this insane usage rate. He leads yeah. the league in minutes most of these years. Yeah, and then by the time they get to the playoffs, you see this happen every year. They burn they out and crash, in the, and so now. He's going to have four months off. If he's fresh for the playoffs, we might get regular season James Harden in the playoffs. You know, it'd be great is if you get regular season James Harden in the playoffs and then he doesn't have the excuse of being tired and he still flames out. <laughs> I, I, would, I would enjoy that. I'll be completely honest. I have no, I have no dog in that fight. but I do. I, I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, I do know why. There's just things about the dude that I just don't like. Okay. But that team, that market in general, I just – I can't stand Houston. I can't. Are we gonna? I, well, I can't if they, do it. If they do lose in the playoffs, are we gonna get a an audit that basically says, well, if you look at the expected value of the, of the number of COVID cases in each of these oh, markets, technically, we, 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 are you kidding me? Daryl Morey's already got it drawn up. That's a hundred percent happening. Like the, the the disparity in hotels, room service, and quality of food, and adjacent strip clubs for James Harden. Like that's that's <laughs> gonna be like that's what's gonna be the undoing of the Rockets. Okay. Um, so we kind of get an idea of how this schedule is going to look. We're getting players testing positive. Now there's some worry about this, whether or not they're going to do it or not do it. Da, 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 da. I think it's mostly publicly. I think you and I have heard from a lot of the same general sources that barring a complete collapse right now, like full relapse, hell breaks loose. This is going to happen. I think they're too far down the road at this point yeah. for it to go for it to get pulled. And we're like the Raptors are already in Florida. There's a couple teams that are already down there, right? That are I, or, or they're going down this week. I well, the only team that is already down there physically right now is, is Toronto. Toronto, and that's I, that had to do with the Canadian border, didn't it? Right. Yeah. Right, so that's why they're down there. But they're down there. We haven't really heard anything about whether guys down there have tested positive or obviously that part of the country is in disaster scenario right now, but it seems, I feel like we would have heard if if, given the pretty much every positive test that's been, that's been registered has been reported. We would have heard something if the Raptors hit. I'm, I said this before. I think it's a little bit weird that everyone's name is out there. I agree. Like if you want to report that four players have tested positive, I think that's responsible. But at this point in time, players are supposed to be kind of like gearing more towards quarantining and being out less and less. Jabari. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a great look, him being out there playing tennis. Yeah. Um, right after he tested positive. That was probably – he probably shouldn't have been doing that. But that, 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 that's, I guess, the flip side of this whole thing comes from, like, I guess having the name out there, if you've interacted with that person, 
Um, it gives you that, at least that, that heads up. But I just, I, I'm kind of on the pro privacy side here. Not kind of, I am, I'm on the pro privacy side here, uh, especially if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is quarantine and isolating when they do test positive. Uh, I just don't think we need to know that stuff. I, I just, well, but the thing you have to keep in mind also is sometimes the player's agent puts it out there or the player puts it out there. Some of the players want it out there so they can say, Hey, look, I got this. You should take it seriously. That's true. Like I remember, that's why Marcus Smart came out and when at, back in March. Yeah, but he, he also positive. he also addressed it himself personally, right? Like if, if a player wants to come out or through an agency or through a representation, I think that's different. Uh-huh. I, I I mean, again, the players could certainly be going to Shams and telling them I tested positive. That, right. that, that's a hundred percent a reality. I just I haven't heard anything about a player being upset that their name was out there. Well, then that's fair. If that's the case. I mean, just, maybe, I mean, maybe they are, who knows, but <laughs> I know I remember, was it uh, Ezekiel Elliott or was it, it was, it was, some, it was some football player who tested, who tested positive And then he quote tweeted the report and said, man, this is a HIPAA violation. Yeah. It, it, which is kind of funny. Cause didn't we have like video of Dak and Ezekiel Elliott? I don't know if that it was barbecue? Ezekiel Elliott, but it was, I, there was some NFL player that got mad at, but and, and to that, I would say, I don't think, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I think the general public, would be shocked at how much player medical information is just widely shared among teams. Yeah. Like once, which is not supposed to happen, right? You don't want this stuff being out there in the public, but these teams all get these players information when they draft them. When a team is thinking about trading for a player, they ask for the medicals. When a player, when a team is thinking about signing a guy as a free agent, they get their medicals. These, these, these players, I kind of look at it. And they don't destroy them once they get them. I kind of look at it as the same way as, you know, you and I, you know, you and I both feel like we would like to have our privacy be generally protected. Mm-hmm. You and I both have Facebook accounts. You and I both use Google for stuff. You yep. and I both have smartphones that have their microphones turned on. That like everybody, it, all of at this point, we're so far gone. All of our personal information that we're talking about wanting to protect, we both have bought stuff off Amazon. Like, our I like the, the the idea, the pretense of being able to have privacy, even if it doesn't actually right, exist. Right, but like you and I both in the back <laughs> of our heads, deep down we know that we know we know that it's so far gone that all yeah. of our personal information and all of our credit card info and all of our shopping stuff. Man, I'm, out, I'm prior in, military. Like I have a file this thick that right. like if you wanted to, I think you could access. Right, I'm sure every a FOIA request. Like, right, right, and I'm sure like every every marketing every every online place that you've bought something probably has like sold that info to five <laughs> different people. Yeah, we all kind of have accepted as part of our lives, unless you're gonna go live in the forest with a flip phone and not enter and not do anything online. Your personal information has been bought and sold so many times over over the last twenty or thirty years or whatever. I think the players pretty much feel the same way. They just you know okay, we would prefer our stuff not to leak publicly, but. All of the teams can get our medical information if they want. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's just one of those situations where, again, I think I, I like the, the idea of it more than the actual reality. Um, and speaking of realities and COVID um, and, what it, and the league restarting, I guess that's kind of the next Blazer-related topic here. Um, one of the first players to opt out of returning this season uh, Trevor Ariza. Now yeah. he is not doing so for COVID related issues. It is a family issue, um, a custody battle yeah. between him and his ex-wife over his 12 year old son. And I, as far as I understand it, that the mandate was that basically he either got to take his son in the month of July or it should be August and spend that month with him or he didn't. And it would cause the custody battle to kind of keep continuing and, and ensue right. and, perpetuity as it seems so he opted to not return to the season 
uh, and spend the month with his 12 year old son. And in doing so Portland on the basketball side of things, obviously loses the services of Trevor Reza who in 21 games played pretty damn well for him. He was great for them. I mean, and again, it kind of, this isn't to take a shot at Trevor. And this is, it's, it's not, I swear to God, it kind of highlights how, needy Portland has been at that wing position where uh-huh. just competent level play was like, holy crap, this looks incredible. But he was just solid. That, that's was. all it was. All you had to do is be an upgrade over uh, what Kent Bazemore gave them. O- over, he- over Harkless. Like, I mean, yeah. he was, he was above both, both yeah. those guys. And it was like, his defense was solid. He was, he could knock down a three. He could pump fake and go buy a defender, yeah. move the ball. When, like, we're just talking about like core-level competencies, and he just looked good doing it. And that's a big blow to Portland. Even though they're getting Zach back, they're getting Nurk back, they don't have the games under their belt. And Are again, they going to move Mello down to the three? Is that what's going to happen? That's what I was just going to ask you. So you, in my head, you've got three, maybe four options. Okay. okay. So option door number one is you move Mello to the three, and you have Dame, CJ, Mello, Zach Nurk. Are we sure Zach's going to start? I believe there's a strong chance that Zach is uh, put out there. Because I kind of feel like the move would be to keep the starting lineup, keep keep Mello and Whiteside where they are, and because you're still working Nurk and uh, Zach back from these injuries. Do you want to? And I realize they have had four months off. Do you want to put them back in the starting lineup right away when they haven't played in this long? I think Nurk, you can do it with. Nurk's been good for basically five months now. Okay, so, so I, f- I still feel like the move is to bring Zach off the bench. So there's a couple things. We've kind of addressed this recently, and I guess we'll, you understand the, the finer workings of things as well. So yeah. this shouldn't be hard. Uh, how do I for this? Things were probably guaranteed to Carmelo Anthony to come to Portland. Things were probably guaranteed to Zach Collins. Uh, one thing I think we all know from a lot of people around the league is you don't lose your starting spot in a Terry Stotts system to injury. That's, that's kind of been, you, 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 that's, you get the right to kind of take it back. This is such an else, exceptional circumstance though. I don't know it how is. much you can. And I think it's going to test those things. The promise made to Carmelo Anthony for minutes and being a starter or allegedly exactly allegedly or the not losing um a starting spot to injury to Zach Collins and the thing is the the only reason I I think there's some credence here as to why this might be an actual not necessarily problem but can be problematic Zach is going to be up for his new contract next season so I think you have to be a little bit careful here but does Zach look at Mello and understand where he is on the basketball pantheon and willingly accept that? I think that's the, the thing you can pull out of this quite easily. Or is he like, no, I'm on my way up. I want to be that dude. I want to play. I want to get the minutes. Because here's the thing. I think Zach's to just going to be happy to be back. I don't think he's going to be complaining too much about. I don't think so either. But I just, it's one of those things where I kind of wonder how it goes. And to be honest, if you're going to start, Dame, CJ, and Mello. We saw how that worked without Trevor Ariza. It didn't. It was nightmare fuel. So then, who do you put at the three if that's not what you're going to do? And that's the thing. I think you have three. You maybe move Trent there. You go smaller with Gary, who's six five, but probably about two ten. Yeah. He, he's. He, I think strength wise, he's able to play that position. 
Uh, I don't think there's a ton of guys that are going to bully him. Um, I mean, you're going to, you look at a team like Memphis that you're going to see Dylan Brooks at the three at some time. So I don't think that's going to be a problem to be honest. Gary's kind of built just like him. Um, the other option is this year who definitely gives you more size, less shooting, but he also doesn't need the ball. Cause if you started Dame CJ, Zach Nurk, that's four guys who can operate very well within the offense who could quote unquote hide in this year as far mm-hmm. as offense and would honestly allow him, I think, to maximize who he is, which is to be opportunistic on both ends of the floor. I still might lean towards Trent. I, I think the, the basketball um, IQ on the defensive end, I think Gary's trending upwards to a, a premier defender at that position. So I, I think that's probably the way they would go. Uh, but if you're worried about size or length, and that's the thing is when you've got Zach and Nurk, you're, you're exceptionally big in the front court. So maybe you can afford to be a little bit smaller on the wings. But the other option, the dark horse in this is, it's a me, it's a Mario. And you throw his He had a couple of there. good games but right before the shutdown. Maybe, maybe he's finally starting to hashtag put it all together. And then you get super big between Mario, Zach, and Nurk. You've got 6'8", six, 6'9", six, seven foot, seven foot. That I think that compensates a ton for having a smaller backcourt. And I think it's a bit of a dark horse. But if I had to rank them, I would probably say Gary starts, then Mello starts, then Nasir. I, 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 but I, I think Gary would be, should be the starter in that vein as far as like getting the most out of guys. Because then you look at it from the bench side of things. Your bench would then be Ant, Mello, Mario, Nasir, Hassan. That's that's. I mean, it's kind of thin. Well, I mean, if you start Mello, then your bench is what? Because you I mean, you, if you start Mello, where? Let's, let me go put it this way: If you're going to start Mello, what position are you starting him at? I still think the move is to bring Zach off the bench. Okay, so you're going to start Melo at the four. Then who's starting at the three? Because that's, would, that's still a little problem. I would lean towards Trent. Then you really only have, I think, two plus defenders in Gary and Nurk. And I don't know if, if Gary has enough experience yet to be the Ariza type to just kind of know and anticipate. But you're certainly making up for it on the back end by having Nurkic out there, I think, over Hassan. That's the thing. I think Nurk is going to start. But you and I are in the same boat there. I, I, I am 100% in agreement that, that Nurk is going to start. I, I think that's, that's the move. Um, do you see any other weird lineup changes? Do you think Portland adds somebody? Because now they've got two roster spots. So they have – well, because they had the one, but then do they get a second one because – Yes, because Ariza opted out. They get another one. Well, I don't know. I mean, I would think it would be a wing. I just don't know who's out there. I mean, you know who's out there. Not a whole lot. I mean – Seems like JR's going to the – JR's Lakers. going to L.A. Yeah, like that just needs to be worked out. Justin Anderson just signed with uh, Brooklyn for the Wilson Chandler spot. Yes, and then you've got um, – Beasley's still out there. I'd be into that. I mean, if we're talking about adding somebody and it's going to be weird and, like, fun, Beasley's – I mean, I want to see him unlock 12% of his brain. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what I want to see, okay? Yeah. 
I, if you're going to sign me up for a weird-ass season, sign me up for one where it's Carmelo Anthony and Michael Beasley in a restart in Florida in a bubble. Like, go. Do we have a whole list of guys who are available for at the wing spot? I mean, it was it was Jr. It was and Beasley and Anderson, and there's one other guy I'm forgetting. Ah, um, oh, oh, I'm on Shumpert. Shumpert, yes. The Shumpert one makes sense. Um, will Nurk kill him? I think it's kind of the question there. Um, I remember, for those that don't know, remember Shumpert tried to get into the Blazers locker room after a Blazers-Kings game and just said he just wanted to talk to the big fella. So um, There's going to be a whole lot of potential for stuff like that when everybody's kind of on this closed environment. Oh, everybody on top of each other. The stories that's going to come out of the quarantine, whoever gets to write this book in 20 years is going to be incredible. Like who sneaks out, who, you know, gets caught doing something somewhere, but doesn't actually get found out. Like it's going to be wild what comes out of that whole. Which player doesn't report symptoms that they have? Yeah. Like it's, there's going to be just weird stuff everywhere. And it's going to be, I guess, interesting is the way I would put it. Memorable. Yeah, I'm trying to scroll through and remember because the Portland is they've got the option obviously to bring Jalen and Moses. Um, and they probably will just for the bodies. Just, right? Yeah, you gotta have bodies. I mean, if you want to try to get in any kind of light workout or scrimmage or anything like that, you I mean, right now you need whatever you can get. But as far as wing help, I mean the the, the three main guys that I was looking at were Shumpert, JR, and, and strangely enough, Beasley. Um I mean, if they wanted to, the Knicks cut Trier. If they wanted a, a guy who's literally plays zero defense and is a capable scorer. Many people are saying he's a better prospect than Luka Doncic. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just... Talk soon. Talk soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... Listen, he's, he's, a, he's a decent player, but... Eh, she's fine. I mean, he, he'll probably end up on an NBA roster, right? I mean, at, yeah. at bare minimum. But, I mean, I, I just don't think Portland needs to add another guard. They, they, I mean, and when I talk about Shumper, Shumper's long enough to, to be a wing, yeah. same with JR. And Beasley's, what, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, yeah, so, you can have Beasley at the three or the four. He's more yeah. of a four now, probably. But. Yeah, probably. And, and on, to be honest, he plays a little bit like Mello where he works out of that pinch post. So, with that second unit, if you have Ant out there, if, if Gary's out there with the second unit, I, I think you could space the floor enough to make it work on the offensive end. It's defensive end. I think, obviously, that's that's Portland's issue no matter how you slice it. Uh, especially how healthy? <sighs> I don't know. Could bring, uh, he, could bring he, Pow back? He, he's out here drinking wine with his wife somewhere. Man, he, he's living his best life, let's be honest. Let's, uh, that's not true. For the first time in a long time, Mark Gasol might be living a better life than Pow right now. But Big Mark is, is definitely Mark with one C and thick now. So, yeah. Um, the other big news, I guess coming out of the restart is the MBPA and Nike have come together. And for those of you who maybe soccer fans have seen this in the premier league, they're going to let players customize their jerseys to get social justice messages on them. And uh, if you want an example, if you're listening along, you're not sure what I'm talking about, just search premier league black lives matter. And you will see a vast majority of jerseys. I think it's all of them. If I'm not certain, but I think it's all of them. The Premier League have Black Lives Matter written across where all the names would be. And I'm assuming from what at least you understand, Sean, that these messages won't just be Black Lives Matter. These will be customizable per player, right? 
Well, did you see Ennis Cantor's Instagram post? I haven't seen Ennis's yet. His says he he posted himself in a Celtics jersey that said Erdogan sucks on the back of it. I mean, sure. like he's probably not going to let that one happen, but there's probably you something what, along those lines. Well, did you see Jaw's tweet? Yeah, I saw Jaw. He would like to put that on the back of his jersey, and that's a uh, reference. He wears to... number. He just. I'll just say he wears number twelve. Yes. Yes. Which. He... I mean, if the league wants to be about it, they could let him put that on the back of his jersey. That's not going to happen, though. Yeah, it's uh, for those wondering. You just uh, you could change it to forget, just because because remember you know the you know the CeeLo the, the CeeLo song where the edited radio edit version was called "Forget You." Yeah, there you go. I could see I could see them yeah, him that, getting that to slide. There you go. Um, you could you could do you think a, a do you think a, song. do you think ACAB would pass the test? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't see that, but. I could definitely see Brianna Taylor. Uh, Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Elijah McClain, just any, I, of, any of the names. I could see those names being on there for sure. I could see um, not only obviously Black Lives Matter, but I could see foundations yeah. uh, being put on the back for awareness. Um, I could see a lot of different things that they'll try to do with this. Um, hopefully we don't see what they did with major league baseball and, uh, the use of emojis on their all-star game jerseys. Let's not like go too far with this. Oh, no, absolutely um, not. Pull away from what it's supposed to be. Well, do you um, remember the, do you remember the, uh, remember that game in like 2013 where the heat and the nets were allowed to have nickname jerseys? Oh yeah. And it was yeah, terrible. Yeah. That, that. I try to forget stuff that's that bad. I mean, there were some that were cool, like the like the Ray Allen Jesus Shuttlesworth jersey was pretty cool. That was probably one of the best. Let's or be like honest. the Le- like the LeBron King James one was was cool. The worst thing was a bunch of players had their initials, which is just like really uncreative. But also Joe Johnson on the Nets and James Jones on the Heat both had JJ. Like you can't both have. Yeah, the same... and not only that, Joe Johnson is not JJ. No, he's not. He's ISO Joe. Yeah. That would be that would have been the thing to do. The coolest one of those by far was Andre Kirilenko just having the Russian spelling of his name on the back of his jersey. Oh, that's right. I which, forgot about that. Like I wish I wish they would let like or just like or like how like how the Rockets used to let Yao just put Yao on the back of yeah. his jersey because that's the that's, that's actually, the that's, that's the custom in name. China. Yes. So like it would be cool if like if like Nikola Jokic was was allowed to put like the Serbian spelling of his or like Giannis had like the Greek letter oh the the the, the what, what, what is that called uh cyrillic yeah that would be awesome yeah no I, i'd be all about that I, I think that would look really cool yeah it would be it, this could be not to, not to take away from what this this is supposed to be but this could be a way where the league starts to relax some things on in that regard did you see do you, you follow grant goldberg right the oh yeah no i photoshop I, guy you saw the you saw the gordon hayward one that i that i'm referring to yeah yeah i saw i saw that for those who were wondering just go just uh, go look at grant's timeline it's, it's it's pretty good it's yeah it's it, it definitely hits a certain note that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> um grand scheme you look into this you look into the schedules and i know it's hard to predict anything i know you hate doing this right I've seen the numbers that have been run based on the data available from the season. And from what I've seen, Portland ends up in this play-in situation as one of the teams of roughly 30% of the time, which is kind of about what I figured. That's kind one of high of, considering how many teams there are. But, but I mean, a one in three chance because they have the tiebreakers. They at least have one game against Memphis that allows them to get there. Um, I think that's, that's about where it ends up being. 
um, remember there's two spots here. So the, the percentages are a little bit weird, but I believe Memphis was like 82%. So they're, they're basically all but assured a spot. I mean, unless they completely fall apart, that's going to be them. Do you think Portland gets the shot? And the second part is, do you think they can legitimately make it and take on the Lakers in the first round? I do think Portland gets the shot. They just have to, they basically, they're three and a half games out. You have to be four games or less out. They just have to tread water. And I think they can do that. So I think they are going to get the shot to take on Memphis. Can they beat Memphis in two straight? They can. Am I ready to predict that they will without knowing who, who's going to sit out or what the injury situation is going to be? I don't know, but I mean, they could, it wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, Oh, they definitely will, or they definitely won't, but you know, I'd say it's about a coin flip. Yeah, I think that seems fair at this point in time. The Blazers what? have the best player in that matchup. I mean, that, that's the thing is that of of, of like we've we've, we've, we've seen Dane perform that. in these in these type of situations before. That's the thing. Yeah, and I think with that, that's got to be your saving grace is that you have this. This is this is some Avengers type stuff. Like you, you know, I've got this. I've got that. Yeah. Well, I've got a Hulk. You know, they've got a Damian Lillard. They've yeah. got a top five player. That You're going to have the best player in the play-in tournament yeah. or the play-in games. So, I mean, that, that part of it has to matter. Um, overall, taking a step back from 30,000 feet on the restart. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, ideas. What are you thinking as things are about, what, a month out now? I don't feel great about where the numbers are in Florida right now. But I also think that when you compare what the NBA is doing to what the other sports leagues are doing, it seems like the NBA is thinking of, and I, I, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I don't pretend that I'm an expert on this stuff, but it seems to me, I've read the full manual that the league has sent out. What is it? All 104 pages? Yeah. Uh, 113. Oh, 113, my bad. I have the whole thing. I've read the whole thing. I'm missing nine pages, apparently. It seems like they thought of everything. They, and it's not, it's not They aren't perfect, doing this willy-nilly. No, they're not. Whereas when you look at, even if baseball plays with no fans, which, they might, across the which they might not even do, because a few of the different teams, I know the Rangers and the two Chicago teams have both said they're hoping to have fans in the ballparks by the summer, which I just mm. don't see how that's possible. No. But... Even if they don't, even if they play with zero fans, you're still going to have teams traveling from one city to another, and that means they're going to have to travel. They're going to have to stay at whatever hotels. You don't know that they're going to. There's going to be other people staying at the hotels who aren't affiliated with the baseball teams. I just, I don't know how that's going to work safely. And then the NFL seems like they're just pretending that COVID doesn't exist and they're going to be able to start the season on time with fans fully at capacity in the stadiums because the rules don't apply to them. Yeah, the NFL is operating as, as they do with everything with we'll make adjustments when we're forced to. Right. And then that's it. Whereas Adam Silver, I feel like, here's my thing. I do not for a second fault any player who decides they don't want to be a part of this, whether it's for COVID reasons or for a family situation like Ariza or because they want to focus on the social justice movement. Any player that says, I don't feel comfortable doing this, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to fault them for a second for doing that because it's not risk-free. And I totally get what guys are going through and the decisions that they're going to have to make being away from their families for that long, all that stuff. I also think that the average person does not fully grasp what the financial ramifications would be of just canceling the season because it's not just, 
oh, they would lose out on just this much revenue from the TV contracts or they would, or the gate receipts or whatever. They would just, you know, they lose a few hundred million dollars a team for this season. That part is like, it, that's not the, even the, that, that nobody, like that, that nobody cares about they're it. All, that's the least. They're already losing worry. so much money yeah. just because of this. Like that part is not the part I'm worried about. No. They, they cancel the season. They default on all those local TV contracts. Their next TV contract are going to be smaller, and that means the players ultimately end up getting less money in the long run. And that's why you were starting to see when uh, there was the talk of guys wanting to sit out because of the, of the protests and the, and the social movement. The guys that were leading the charge for that were Kyrie Irving and Dwight Howard, and both of those guys have made hundreds of millions of dollars in their career. So yeah. those guys could miss the rest of the season and be okay, whereas – some of the more rank and file guys were maybe looking at the amount of money they were losing and be like, Hey, you know, maybe we should use this tournament as a way to bring people together and bring attention to the cause. Like, and, because- and to be honest, you've got a guy in a, in a vice president in CJ McCollum, who's been one of the main financial guys. Yeah. Who was like, he's been trying to educate people and say, Hey, it sounds great to take off all of this time or, mm-hmm. or you know, take off the season and, and just focus on the movement. But uh, you guys Here's should probably reality. look at, you guys should probably look at some of these numbers in terms of how much money you would lose. Yeah. So, I made the decision at the beginning of this whole process when they first started talking about this. I am not going to be for or against them doing this because me, me giving my opinion about it does not have any impact on whether they are going to do it or not. As long as they have choices, that's all I ever care about. That's the thing. They're not forcing anybody to do anything. So far, we've seen four players opt out, a handful of guys opt out. And other than just that one dumb tweet that Evan Fournier had about Davis Bertans, we haven't really seen any of those guys have any pushback about it. No. Everybody understands Trevor Ariza. Okay, you have a family situation. That's more important than playing in this restart when your team is fighting to be the eighth seed. Which you're not like a title contender anyway. Not that that would matter either way. But you know, Wilson Chandler is the first player that we have who is citing solely COVID reasons. Yeah, and you totally understand why. Even though I would personally argue that these guys are probably safer in this environment where they're getting mm-hmm. tested every day and they have round the clock care, and they're basically they being isolated be. from them for the most part. Yeah. That's a part of why I am not as worried about the Florida numbers in relation yeah. to this as other people are, because basically these guys are flying into town on a private jet. So it's not like they're, it's not like they're flying commercial. They're, they're flying their recirculated the, reused right, planes yeah, on the team charter. And then they basically just have to get from the Orlando airport to Disney without contracting it. And they're going to have private drivers and stuff, and they're going to get the utmost precaution taking. It's not like they're going to just be out in the world in Orlando and then go into this bubble. No. So the part that I am concerned about is the Disney workers being able to go to and from Yeah, what's probably going to end up happening there is they're just going to get a certain amount of those workers to volunteer to just stay on campus. And then they'll have to pay them a bunch more money to do that. But if it's a choice between that and not being able to do this safely, then I think the NBA will be willing to eat that money. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. And we'll kind of wrap it up here and end on kind of a fun little note. Uh, Eight years ago today, uh-huh. the Portland Trailblazers selected a young point guard from Weber State, Damian Lillard. Yeah. Turned out pretty good for him. And uh, as we were recording this, as we we're recording here on Sunday afternoon, um, the Blazers tweeted out earlier this morning a commemorative photo of Dame at draft day. And uh, he's sitting up there, and everybody remembers that gray suit with the black panels yeah. on it. And um, Dame just tweeted out, I had fake earrings in. <laughs> that's great well he didn't have the, he didn't have he didn't have the bread yet man he's got he's got the money now to buy he can buy whatever earrings he wants now but back at the time he you have to go with a stick on 
I mean, you're you, talking you, about stick-ons. Like I'm sure he had his ears pierced, but they were just, they were just like fake diamonds. I'm, I'm I'm trying to zoom in. I want to know. They, they look like they're like black diamonds. They're probably like they're probably like uh, like plastic or something. Yeah, uh, just got a good shine to them. Rhinestones, maybe I don't know. But I I appreciate the the little bit of uh, a humility there from humility there from Dame. Just well, the, I mean Dame's always been the guy a guy who has a sense of humor about yeah. stuff like that, so that doesn't surprise me. But you know, good for him. I mean his his come up's been real. Let, let let's be honest. He he can uh, he can get whatever he wants now. So uh, it's a lot. I think it's a little bit easier to. Uh, make fun of yourself when uh, you've got the deals he's got that's you don't you sure. don't worry about whether his diamond earrings are <laughs> fake now that's the thing the diamonds are definitely not fake yeah this the stuff i've seen him put on after games before have been uh <laughs> yeah that one, that one chain that he has that he usually puts on the- yes that thing is is insane yeah. um sean thanks for hopping on man i appreciate you um stay safe through all of this um yeah, I, before I forget, I, I totally forgot because I'm an idiot. You did do a very lengthy piece mm-hmm. uh, for Bleacher Report on the Dream Team. And I just take it, tell everybody about it, what went well, into everything. Not the Dream Team. I'm sorry. You not said the dream, dream Team. This is not about the 1992. Not the dream, dream, dream. I'm sorry. I call giant, every damn... A, I call every Olympic team the Dream Team by default because I'm an idiot. No, there's a, there's a, there's a Jack McCallum book for that. Yes, but uh, about but the Olympic team, um, the not not the Olympic. You're 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 over two here. It's the 2010 FIBA World Championship oh, sorry, team. God. They weren't they weren't they didn't I mean, play in the Olympics. But yes, thank you. But yeah, so the 2010 FIBA World Championship team, which was Kevin Durant when he was 21, Derrick Rose going into his MVP season, Russell Westbrook going into his breakout season, Kevin Love going into his breakout season. Basically, this team. The rise I, of right, superstardom. Right. I make the case kind of in this piece, and I talk to a bunch of the different guys from the team for it. Uh, I kind of make the case that this is the most influential national team of the 21st century. When you compare, when you consider this was where Kevin Durant made the leap to become Kevin Durant. And then you look at what all of the different guys went on to do right after that. Derrick Rose wins MVP the next season. Kevin mm-hmm. Love has his breakout year and makes his first all-star game and wins most improved the next season. Uh, Tyson Chandler was just traded to Dallas and they just won the title that next year. And he was the second most important player on that team after Dirk. Yep. Lamar Odom won six man that next year, which was his last season with the Lakers. And even some of the like set, the lesser guys on the team, like Eric Gordon was still on the Clippers at the time. And so he was still seen as like this up and coming young guard. Uh, but basically, and the, and the thing that's maybe the most lasting part of this, it's not just what those guys went on to do individually, but this was the first time that Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Andre Iguodala were on a team together and there became friends. And that eventually led to the three of them playing together in Golden State. It not only did that, but it also started some relationships with other players through the league who have now ended up playing together. Well, this, if you want to go back a little bit further, the 2006 FIBA tournament mm-hmm. in Japan was when LeBron, Bosch, and Wade started Giving there because that was the summer that they signed the shorter rookie extensions. Yep. Everybody talks about the redeem team in 08 being when they talked about doing it, but it was actually 06. It was actually as far back as 06. They were like, hey, maybe we should line up our contracts so that we hit free agency the same year. Originally, they wanted Mello to be part of it also, but Mello decided to take the extra guaranteed year before he could opt out. And so that's why he wasn't part of the big of the Miami. And that's situation. why he went to New York. Right. But yeah, it's uh it's you worked on this for God, you started this in November. Uh, I say October, November. You well, I started. I had the idea last summer 
during the FIBA tournament mm-hmm. because I just kept seeing guys like De'Aaron Fox and Devin Booker dropping out of the tournament because they wanted to just focus on training for the upcoming season. And I started thinking about just how much those guys like Durant and Derek Rose and Kevin Love got out of playing on that team when they were at the same point in their careers that somebody like a Devin Booker is at right now. Yeah. And then I started looking at that team and I just started putting all the different threads of it together at that time, maybe late summer, early fall around the preseason of, Hey, you know, this team's 10th anniversary is coming up. This might be a fun team to write about. Mm -hmm. And so I pitched it to my editors back then as, Hey, we should do this for next summer when it's a 10th anniversary. And then that way I can just spend the entire season picking guys off to interview as they come through Portland and we don't have to rush it. And I can just get all the guys I need to get. Now, obviously the season shuts down in March due to a pandemic. And so some of the guys that I wanted to get, I wasn't able to get, but I got enough yeah. for guys that I'm pretty happy with how it came out. No, it is cool. And I, I just like listening to you talk about the interviews that you had and the things that you found out over yeah. the course of those months was like this really cool thing to watch build into what it ended yeah. up becoming. Cause well, it because is. What, what it, I think one of the more interesting parts of it was uh, the two things I found out. First of all, Jerry Colangelo, who is the chairman of uh, USA basketball, mm-hmm. When I talked to him for the piece, I, I guess I may, maybe this was reported at the time. I don't remember it, but Kevin Durant almost made the Redeem team in 2008 as a 19-year-old. And this oh, is wow. the, I didn't know that. the Redeem team, which was uh, like LeBron, Kobe, Mello, Wade, Chris Paul, mm-hmm. Dwight. It was like all of the best players in the NBA. Durant was so good in that training camp that he almost made the team as a 19-year-old. So that was one thing he told me. But then the other thing that Andre told me that I thought was interesting was that this was the first time, because remember, at that point, when Andre was on that team, he was still in Philly. And he was Philly's leading scorer. He was their, their, he was their guy. Right. After they traded Iverson, he was their leading scorer pretty much mm-hmm. every season since then. And so he was used to being the man and being the go-to guy, being around a 20-point-a-game scorer at that point. So he goes to this USA camp, and he is playing at the small forward. He's playing behind Kevin Durant. If he wants to move over to power forward, he's playing behind Kevin Love and Lamar Odom. So this is when he first got, got used to like, okay, I'm playing with all of these guys who are better than me. I need to just be willing to come off the bench and be the defensive glue guy. And he was great in that role on the national team. And he played the same role in 2012 when he was on the Olympic team uh, in London. Mm-hmm. But then that made it, and he told me this, that once he signed with Golden State, after that first year, because he was still starting the first year, the Mark Jackson year. Yeah. But then when Steve Kerr got there, and Steve Kerr wanted to move Harrison Barnes into the starting lineup and bring Andre off the bench. Andre already had this experience of playing with the national team and playing a role like that. So when Steve Kerr went to him and said, look, would you be willing to come off the bench? He was like, okay, cool. I'll do it. And then you saw how that worked out for him where he wins finals MVP that first year. And he's basically one of the most important guys on this whole Warriors run. Yeah, it turned out, turned out to be uh, pretty decent for old, old Iggy in that. He's probably going to go to the hall of fame because he was willing to accept that role, which is insane to think about. Right, like the only other player I can think of that 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 situation is true for is Manny Ginobili. Yeah, like that's 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 pretty much the list. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, are you willing to come off the bench even though you're probably one of the ten best players in the league right now? Yeah. Okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> right, and so that's so that's uh, so anyway. So this so this piece it's it's on it's on Bleacher Report. It's mm-hmm. called the team that set the tone for the new NBA. If you go to my Twitter at Hiken, I have it as my you pin got a pin right I'll now. Probably yeah. keep it up as my pin tweet for a while. Until it's I have a good one to have pinned. Until I have something else that's more worthy of having pinned. But this is one that I worked on for a long time. I'm really happy with how it came out. I, a lot of uh, guys I talked to, like, 
I really wanted to get Durant. I wasn't ever able to get him because, yeah. I mean, he was rehabbing his injury the whole year. He wasn't really doing a ton of interviews. Rich and I talked about it a little bit, but it never really ended up happening. But then uh, Iguodala was great. And I got really, really, really lucky with Iguodala because he got traded to Miami like two days before they came to Portland. Oh, that's right. I remember you. Because remember, he was on uh, Memphis. He was wasn't going on anywhere. the Memphis payroll technically, but he was just chilling. Yeah. The entire season. And so I went to I, – I emailed his agency a little bit maybe during the season when it didn't seem like he was going to end up playing at all. Yeah. And, you know, we, we went back and forth a little bit, but we were just never able to make it happen there. But then he gets traded to Miami like two days before they come to Portland. And he's activated. And he's active. And that was the first game he played. And I was able to – I actually was – it was kind of a process because I went to the day before uh, that game – they practice at the university of Portland. Mm-hmm. And so I drove up there to go to the practice and I wasn't able to talk to interview him then because that was his first practice with the team. So all the beat writers uh, needed to get him. But before their bus left, I was able to introduce myself to Andre and say, Hey, like, this is what I'm doing. Would you be down to do this? And he said he would be down to do it at the game the next day. And then he did. And he talked to me for about 15, 20 minutes there. And he was great. The other guy that was really good with her too, Derek Rose was great. And I know him a little bit because I used to oh, cover the Bulls. Bulls. So, I, so he and I are still cool. And it helps that he plays for the Pistons, which is the most irrelevant team in the league. So there's not a whole lot of media interest around him. <laughs> so I was able to get him pretty easily. But the other guy that was really good was Danny Granger. Mm-hmm. Who is just, he's out of the game now. He's just like doing real estate investing full time. Which is just weird to have. He's a, just, yeah. So he's just, just he's fall doing off the face of the earth. And he, but he manner. was. Right, but he was really easy to get because this is probably the first interview request he's gotten in like three years or something. <laughs> but, you know, he, I reached out to, I was able to, I reached out to somebody I know at the Retired Players Association mm-hmm. and, the, and that person just gave me Danny's personal email address and I emailed Danny and immediately he was like, yes, I'll do it. I'll call you tomorrow. Let's do this. And he was great. Fantastic. He, like, he, was, he was awesome. And he's also a guy like, he's a, he's a guy that he, he kind of had to retire at 31 or 32 because his body injury. betrayed him. Right. But those couple of years when he was on the Pacers, he was really, really, good. he was a stupid good player. He was a 25. He's, he averaged 25 a game in yeah. 09 the year that he, no, I mean, he was, he was a fantastic player. I mean, he was just awesome the reality. for a while. So he was a cool guy to, because he's a guy that a lot of people have don't really talk him, him and Michael red are like the two guys from the mid two thousands where they had the injuries. And so that kind of cut their prime short, but you look back at them now and you're just like, wow, that guy was really good. Those and guys talks pe- about him anymore in their peak. If they get to play their careers out that they would have been phenomenal. Prime Danny uh, Granger was a problem. Steam mouth. Of <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, if you want to go read it, get to Sean's Twitter uh, at Sean Hyken. Or no, it's just at, at, at Hiken now. That's right. Sorry. It's been uh, that for like eight years. Like, I know. I, I, I know. I have the old one still stuck in my head. Um, at Hiken, his pin tweet, Bleach Report, FIBA, all the good stuff. Sean, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, I'm scatterbrained because I don't know what day it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody does. This is day like 147 of something like that. Something just obscene. Uh, but thanks for joining us, man. Uh, as always, you can find me on social media at Danny Morang at D A N N Y M A R A N G and my friend and co-host Joe Simons and I will have you for every post game, uh, in the warm up resumption of the season, NBC sports Northwest will be carrying all eight games. So we'll have you guys there following the post game. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to tweet at me. Please like rate and review. I am terrible about saying that and reminding us. But it does help. But uh, for everybody else, thank you for joining us. Stay safe. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.